Justin. Yes. What are the differences between Blade Runner 1980 to 1992 and 2007? Um, one has Woody Harrelson as Deckard and the other has Harrison Ford. Close. Oh, okay. Damn it. You're going to say he shoots Bill Murray with a shotgun by accident? <laughs> <laughs> Very close. Okay. Uh, no, actually, there's no difference at all. It's one of those things where uh, there's five different cuts of the movie because nobody could agree on anything. But we're going to talk about... Uh, which one are we talking about? Which one did you guys watch? So we were all clear on the I same I watched page. something that was called The Final Cut, which I believe was and the most recent. And how did it end? How did it end? It ended... Was with, Harrison Ford narrating? Uh, I don't think he was. I don't think there was a narration at the end. It's just a quick like hard end when they they're in the apartment building and they're like turning to leave and then the movie just ends. That's the one I watched and that was the director's cut, I think. Cuz I just watched it streaming from some site last night. Okay. I th- want to say that's how mine ended too, but I could be wrong. Okay. It's, it's just there's the ending changes depending on which one you watch, so I want to make sure we all watch the same one. Okay. Before we get into anything else because there's so many different versions of it because Ridley Scott is a psychopath. Right. There's yes. There's really yes. no difference between the director's cut and the final cut. In terms of ending? Yeah, I think they just remove one line. That's it. And they fix the unicorn dream sequence. And you know, and of course like the the final cut is like a 4K version. Oh, naturally, yeah. Cuz they restored it so it looks better, but yeah. They're pretty much the same. Okay. I think the one we have at we have at home though is the original theatrical cut because we were talking about that beforehand. I remember watching that and I remember the thing at the end where it's like the happy ending and they're driving in the countryside or whatever and and Harrison Ford has like voiceover narrations throughout the movie. But in the director's cut and the final cut, there's no they took all of that out. Oh, okay. That's I, I we were trying to we're aiming back and forth earlier in the week. And I guess there was a, you know, happy dancing through the field ending type thing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that you guys talking about that until like the other day and then and then I thought about it and that was yeah, there are a lot of big differences. Like it just really affects the way you perceive the film, I guess, when Which is a great place to jump off and talk about what the book that it's based on. Since I it is based off It of, has been more yeah. than several years since I have read that book, but yeah, and I didn't have to read it for like English class, so I didn't like have to like analyze like why his leather jacket was like you know a symbol for his masculinity or some bullshit like that. But I just read it for fun. I don't know. I'm isn't that what we normally talked about in English class? I didn't pay attention enough. We didn't ever read that for English class. I did. I read it in sophomore year, I think. Your Android's Dream of Electric Sheep is the book we're talking about. A yes. classic Philip K. Dick story. Also the author of another story that is the basis of one of the best movies ever, Total Recall, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not the one that was, with and That Colin was just Farrell. a short story, though. I know, but yeah. he still wrote it. Right. But I Not think the one Do Android's Farrell. Dream of Electric Sheep, to me, I, I remember reading that, and it was just as boring as the um, Man in the High Castle book to me. It's a lot more complicated <laughs> than the movie. 
Like, there's a lot more shit going on in the book. Was that the one? Oh, yeah, that was the... They had, like, this whole thing about, like, somebody having, like, some sort of, like, real dog or cat on a roof or something that they, like, got... It got killed. Was that the same book, or am I thinking yeah, of Yeah, no, that's thing? right, because the, okay. the artificial animals are, like, something you can get for a status symbol, but everybody knows they're fake. Okay. It's like having a real Rolex versus a fake one because having like a real cat or a real lamb or whatever is like. Okay. Because I remember like I sort of remember that when we were watching or when I was watching the movie yesterday and uh, like it came up like, oh, is that a real snake? It's like, no, the fuck do you think I am? Like, which is, yeah, one of the weird things that carries over to the movie, but it's not like really explained. The book like goes into depth how like. Deckard is going through the catalogs and stuff like, oh man, I really wish I could buy one of these real life farm animals. Yeah, that's like his dream. Like, oh, I want to own a cow. Like, Right, like the people save up like, I want to buy a boat when I retire. It's like, I want to buy this cow. This cow that will die in, you know, five to seven years. <laughs> but it's real. Yes. So while it's alive, it's real. Do they ever really talk about why there's no real animals anymore or is it just like some like environmental I mean, destruction in the or movie or the book? Yeah, well in the book, in the book, I think there's there like some war that ruined the environment slash. There's a lot of people that are in, in the cities that exist. So I think it's difficult to, for them to, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at least in the movie, it seemed like, you know what that was, it was future ish LA, right? So it yeah. looked like you couldn't, you know, you could hardly live there as a person, much less, you know, raise an animal. So, Right, and I think that that's something that, again, is not, like, super explored in the movie is why it's all like that. There's some mention, I think, of, like, there was some kind of war, but it's not really, like, ever explained, like, what that meant. Just, like, there's these weird uh, competing TV hosts in the book. Um, oh, yeah. Buster Friendly, who's uh, like a robot or something. He's on 24 hours a day. I forgot about those And guys. Raymond Mercer, I think. I can't remember what his first name is. You but have there's a like, lot better memory than I do on this stuff. Like, <laughs> There's like the, the Mercerism religion. Thank you. There's the, like the Mercerism people who worship him and his weird like Christ allegory where he keeps pushing a rock up a hill every day. Or Sisyphus, the Greek guy. And he, the rock rolls down the hill all the time, and everybody wants him to do it because he was some guy who had like magic powers or something, and then the government killed him. It, it sounds right. Again, I read this book in like a couple of days, and then just lots of went up the next thing. And like Buster Friendly is like a consumerist, like whore who's you know trying to convince you to buy shit and be happy all the time. Because another theme in the movie is that Deckard's bitch wife is always playing with the the mood organ to be less of a bitch. In the book. (laughs) Yeah, in the book. Sorry, in the book. Because, like, Philip K. Dick apparently hates women or something because it's just, like, Deckard is confused by his wife, like, trying to fuck with a mood organ, but at the same time, he's kind of a douche. So (laughs) I can see why she's trying to fuck with the mood organ. But there's all this weird technology, like, for example, the mood organ that makes you feel a certain way by pushing buttons that's just, like, not really covered in the movie. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing that I could think of to, like, the weird technology was when he was, like, you know, talking to the photo analyzing program or whatever, mm-hmm. as far as, like, okay, this is actually, you know, a bit sci-fi as far as, like, using Enhance and 
you mean move left a lot and it goes on forever yes where he just has to like enhance okay move over zoom move wait pull back stop. yes that that scene went entirely like <laughs> two or three minutes too long could have just been like oh there's like a reflection in this thing that is impossible to enhance but yeah it's the future, like, literally so all it. you need is for him to have a realization like look at the screen and have on his face and then see like oh uh, enhance on that and then it's done but Yes, no. it's like a five-minute thing. <laughs> Enhance, Left, right, Enhance. center, stop, center, enhance, zoom, unzoom, crop out, crop in. It was like that Daft Punk song. You know what I'm talking about? No. The Technologic song, like, never mind. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Um. Yes, the scenes that go on too long is another thing in this movie. Like the doing the the sympathy test scene for me always seems like it's a very long. Which one, the first one or the one with the uh, fat guy? Okay, so with Leon. But that's at least interesting and has a purpose because it introduces you to the Voight Comp thing, which is the way they distinguish replicants with no real emotions from real human beings. So it does have a purpose. And the questions the guy's asking are interesting with the how the what's his name? Leon. Yeah, Leon reacts to them. But just the enhanced thing. Like there's no there's no other character in that scene. It's just him looking at like a Yeah, it's I don't know, like a video screen and telling the computer what to do. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just didn't find any purpose in that scene. And if that scene was extended for the director final, whatever cut bullshit thing that they release for more money than uh, it seems like a waste but it seems like a waste the way i read that is that it they, still is a waste. they started <laughs> they started doing like the final cut thing back in like the year 2000 and they had to go through six years of uh, legal battles to get the distribution rights back mm-hmm. for the to be able to release a final cut of the movie or a new cut and so it took them till 2007 to actually release it because of that. But it was supposed to have been done like back in 1999, 2000. Mm. Okay. Hmm. This is like I said. There's like... no. There's no real difference between them. Like just one of them has Ridley Scott's stamp of approval because he did it himself, versus the director's cut where he just gave notes to some other guy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really thought it was funny that I. Since you guys an article with Ridley Scott, just like somebody was asking him in an interview, like, hey, which which one is, you know, the definitive one? And he just has this like confused, like, I don't give a fuck sort of look on his face, like, watch whatever you want. Which, I mean, again, like you said, the ending is pretty different between theatrical and the other ones, but. Well, like, I remember, you know, just generally, I think I hadn't seen this movie for like 17 years. I did mm-hmm. not, I think I watched it last time when I was like in eighth grade or something, and I just remember it. W- I found it so, so boring, and I still found it very, really? very, actually pretty boring because there's not a whole lot of story, actually. There's not a lot going on in this. Like, I mean, nothing happens for very long stretches of time. It really did seem like, you know, the core story was, Hey, Decker, get over here. You're going to kill some replicants. I don't want to. You're going to do it. Okay. And then I guess the replicants are actually, you know, looking to extend their lives. And that's sort of 
the story. Like, yeah, like but it's not like they ever went into want more life. That's it. Yeah, but I mean, like going to like jumping to the end real quick. He was the I can never remember his name. The guy with the blonde hair. The I don't Roy Batty. Roy Rutger Hauer is the actor. Yeah, Roy. Um, he went into the you know sort of his backstory. Like, oh yeah, I've seen all this shit. Like that would it sounds actually interesting rather than just like going from, you know, slum to slum looking for like the next person on the totem pole of the company. Yes, but Harrison Ford is a blade runner, Justin. But and wasn't that That's a cool name, that, sure. I'll give him that. But <laughs> wasn't Roy Batty's speech improvised anyway? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the original speech was really shitty. So he just came up with something better. Yeah, he just said, we'll do it live. Rucker and then... Howard just did it himself. And... He like he made up some of it. Like He took what was there and just reworded it and did it better. Like The Philip K. Dick parts of it that I think were in there were stuff like the Tannhauser Gate and Sea Beams and... Which nobody ships. knows what the fuck those right. are. Yeah. So, but <laughs> And then you got to have a good actor like him to make that sound credible. Which he did. I thought it was the, oh, it's the delivery too, because it's, it's the like, thing that everybody remembers from that movie. Mm-hmm. Is where Roy Batty's about to die, so like he has that like his life flashes before his eyes, and that's a good part of the movie. It's it, one of the only exciting parts of the movie, in my opinion. I true. There is the uncomfortable part where Harrison Ford is pretending to be somebody else while interviewing the hooker. But oh, it's from like the committee on like you know uh, it's really that's like, like bad you said behavior or something yeah. <laughs> that scene is extremely awkward because like he comes in with this like goofy like hey everybody like you know I'm here to help you <laughs> yeah, like got, like he's doing a but weird then like character. <laughs> then he like goes into his Harrison Ford voice like only like you know a minute after he goes into the room but like. He hasn't got off the char- the goofy character that he's trying to play. He's but he has the Harrison vo- voice going, and it's and he goes back to the goofy voice. It's really strange. I don't know. I don't know if you that was the same like cut. I guess. I don't. Oh, no, it's all the same. Okay, but you, you know what I'm talking about. His voice, like he tries to do like a thing where he's pretending to be somebody else, and then he doesn't do it, but he keeps saying the dialogue that person would say. Yeah, it, it just yeah. reminded me of I. Is it Christian Bale? Is that the one you... No, no, no. It was um, in Terminator Salvation. One of the Christian, sh- Christian Bale and Sam Worthington. Sam Worthington. You always complain about him like they can't having his accent then he goes Australian for like a full minute and then like switches back. Yeah, and Christian Bale can't stop being British when he has Sam Worthington tied up in his bondage gear. Yes. Yeah. I think this is that Harrison Ford's acting in there is more like Keanu Reeves in the vampire movie. Know what that one is <laughs> from from Dracula, where Keanu Reeves is trying to do an English accent the whole time. You've never seen that movie. I want to see it now. <laughs> the one with Gary Oldman. Yeah, uh, interview with a no, no. It's it's just no, Dracula. It's, yeah, Dracula. But it was directed by somebody famous. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're right. He does. Count Flopula. He, he he would have been a better in that movie if he just like stuck with his normal Keanu voice and like nobody <laughs> would have cared really. But he he went out of his way to do a bad accent. But what Francis Ford Coppola said is that Keanu Reeves was trying so hard to get it right that it sounded bad. He's right. <laughs> <laughs>
But like I was talking about that. So let's back up. So Harrison Ford's job is he's a blade runner. So his job is to find escaped Android synthetic life forms that are trying to get out of their slavery deal. And his job is to kill or capture them. I never really understood like what's so bad about that. I mean, sure. They'll have, you know, they'll just like fall over dead in like, you know, four years, but like, right. What's the harm of them falling over dead in four years? Like, like, okay. I mean, okay. They just want to integrate into society and, be a normal person like what is so bad about that i guess well because they say that because they have such short lifespans they're emotionally unstable like they're basically they come into the world with like a bunch of emotions they don't have the experience of memory to guide that so they're really irrational and unstable so they're a threat to like normal society so that's why they're not allowed on earth because they're prone to like violence and stuff and these guys but, are I mean, like we, super strong, and they, we don't see a lot of that. Okay, like the hooker didn't seem like she was prone to violence necessarily until Harrison Ford pulled a gun on her. I mean, Roy was the only one that really seemed like you know, no fucking Leon, like just well, Leon, he, he's like kills a he guy, was a puppet and, to Roy. Leon yeah. just wanted to play with turtles, but then he he tried to kill um, rabbits. Rabbits. He, he tries to kill Deckard too. So I don't know. Leon seems like it, and they say like he's. He can lift like 400 pounds somethings and like put them in a, you know, box like for 12 hours a day or something and not break a sweat because that's, he's, he's got super strength. Okay, well, I mean. He has the mega strength, Justin. Again, like I Perfect always. Perfect for his job as a slave. Right. But can't you just like, if they're making slave robots, do they have to like give them, you know, flesh and blood? Can't it just like be, you know. Metal Terminator style, like I think that that's they allude to that that's how it started, but this is like the latest evolution of like a synthetic android is that they actually replicate them from the ground up genetically, so they're like identical to a human on the inside, but they're still programmed. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of like a really gray area like they don't ever really talk about how the technology really works besides the fact Again, that I just they get don't designed get, like why would you jump to that like there's it's not like they're building you know human looking robots in car factories like, i don't think that's the goal right now i think that was the guy's goal tyrell oh, okay that was his goal to make something more human than human that's what he says like the slogan of the company is oh okay well i mean he's like know, the hf yeah, he's like it made more sense to me for them to build an android like, um, like the guy in Alien. Bishop or like he like David looks human and acts human, but the inside he's still like tubes and synthetic um, stuff. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look at you know David, and he's like, okay, well, something off about him rather than. Let's go all full human. Yeah, there's something off about him, Justin. If he cuts himself shaving, fucking cum comes out of his neck. Or in Lance Henriksen's case, spoiled milk. Right, whereas the replicants are basically (laughs) enhanced humans. Yeah, they're like 3D printed people, which is kind of interesting that this was before 3D printing was really even a thing. I mean, say what you will about the movie being kind of boring, but the... One of the things that stands up about it, I think, is the visual still, because this is like the, not quite the golden era 
of like CGI and compositing, but this is like the I think the zenith of the miniatures. Yeah, they did all that opening scene where they like are going over the city is like all miniatures. I remember seeing some YouTube clip or documentary about that. I will agree with that. From like a visual and design aesthetic point of view, it is a great movie. But when you watch the movie, I think that that's what you have to watch it to go into it knowing that you're going to appreciate that, but that you're going to have to like just accept that there's really not much of anything going on with the characters except for like Roy <coughs> Batty. So maybe the movie's more about appreciate Roy. it for the aesthetics. Yeah, I mean, as far as Harrison Ford's character is concerned, like it's not terribly interesting for him. Like, well, the thing I like about the theatrical cut is that I get where they were. I get the motivation for this movie. It's that it's kind of like a sci-fi noir film. Like he's the like he's like the sci-fi version of like Philip Marlowe, and that's why in the theatrical version, like the voiceovers work because it sounds like you're reading like a novel, like um. Pulp fiction like, detective novel. Right. It sounds like you're reading a Raymond Chandler thing, like the big sleep or something where it's all like first person narration. And, you know, he, he comments on the, the events that are happening around him and that he's part of, like he has an inner monologue. So that like that improves the theatrical cut for me watching it because it actually makes a story like it fleshes it out a bit, makes it easier to understand. It reduces the, I guess the artistic impact of the movie you will because it simplifies the story a lot and but it makes it fit more doesn't read the lines too well well yeah because he did all that in post-production under protest under threat of lawsuit yeah really yeah okay that's why he sounds like he's just reading the lines in the words. I, I don't think i've ever seen the theatrical cut i mean i watched this movie probably like he's eight he's years con- ago or so like he is complying to the letter of his contract let's put it that way like, okay, like, it, it depend- <laughs> that sort of situation. <laughs> to me, it depends on what you want to go into it seeing. If you want to go into it seeing like a by-the-numbers like detective story with sci-fi elements, then you should watch the theatrical cut because that's what you're going to get. But then again, like audiences hated it when it came out in the theaters and it didn't make any money and it only got really popular after they came out with that director's cut. Anyway. Word of explosions. Yeah. I will agree. I will say though that you're right about the miniatures. I think it's the movie's definitive proof that. Well, it's embarrassing that a movie from 1982 with miniatures can still look incredible today versus movies from like 1999 through like 2012 with CGI. Notably, like that don't age very well at all. But this movie, the effects age pretty well. What's that movie? It has another giant city. Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Right, yeah. George must have had Blade Runner in his DVD player when he was writing the script. Well, that's what I was thinking about. The aesthetic of the Los Angeles for 2019 looks a lot like Coruscant. Yeah. Especially like the part of it where um, Darth Sidious has his little secret hideout out in like uh, where they do all the industrial stuff. And there's like flame jets of flame and the factories and stuff like that. But I yeah. did, I did like that because it's like every movie has copied that aesthetic since then. Like a lot of side, but like I was thinking about that Psycho Frame show that we watched oh, when Psycho I saw Pass. this. Is like yeah. Psycho Pass. Um, yeah, you're right, Psycho Pass, and it reminded me a lot. Like, oh, the city in Psycho Pass looks a lot like the city in Blade Runner. Okay, 
Well, whoever did, who did the design for this, you know, I mean, it wasn't Ridley Scott. He didn't, you know, sit down and do this, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure he had like a really big role in the design. I want to say they, I don't know who did it, but I want to say they won some awards for this. A lot of the stuff they did. In oh, this. it was uh, Sid Mead. Okay. I was going to yeah. say, it must be one of the master people who did it. And I think that the, what you can say to the credit of the movie is that it certainly like defined the visual of the future. Like I think even Robocop, when we were talking about that last week, might have taken something from... Well, the shitty Detroit, not the new Apple-looking Detroit. Yeah, the shitty Detroit. It might have, their, their futuristic city might have even taken some cues from Blade Runner, which is interesting. One also like product of its time stuff that the city of Los Angeles seems to be like heavily influenced by like Japanese culture now. Not Mexican culture. Right. Well, but 1982. That's I mean, what I mean. The, the like prediction it's... is like Japan's going to take over the world culturally. So I guess that they, that's like the assumption they made that like, by 2019, we'll all be worshiping Japanese culture. So of course all the advertisements and everything is, I wonder how much Coca-Cola paid for that to be in that movie. That bowl of ramen looked good. Probably a lot of money. <laughs> they probably paid a lot of money for it's that. Like really early product placement. Well, I mean, they they had eight years to ramp up to Total Recall, which I held the record for product placement for many years. It may still hold the record for product. But placement. there's a reason for the products <laughs> to be in that movie. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But- there's like an artistic reason why the products are in that movie. Like why there's a lot of product placement for this. It fits, but I still think they probably paid to be in it. Oh, definitely. Just like I'm sure in the new one that we're going to go see and review for everybody, there's like Ryan Gosling has to stop to drink a Gatorade or something. Okay, so I I read some things about the, no, no spoilers, but I read some things about the new one, and <clears throat> it's three hours long mm. first. What? Yeah, it's three hours long, and they don't give intermissions in theaters anymore. So you're going to have to hold it. That is really surprising that it's that long, one. And two, it's even longer than that because you have to watch the little mini Oh, fuck. Like the, all the previews. I forgot about that. So- well, no, not the previews. I mean, there's like a couple, like, I don't know if they're like 10, 20-minute shorts about like the time between the two Blade Runner movies. They were directed by the guy who did um Cowboy Bebop, I think. But uh, yeah, there's like I think two or three of those that you can watch in your own time before you go into the movie. A friend of mine that saw it on Friday, uh, she was saying like it was, yeah, I watched them and they seemed to help a bit. So it's one of those things. It's like the Star Wars movies have a, you well, know, extra stuff you have to watch before you go in or read. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that very much. But I, I, I mean, I'm glad that, like, this isn't a, the other thing that I read about it was much like the original. It's kind of a standalone thing. Like, there's no expectation of any kind of sequel with it. It's a self-contained story, which I like that. There's not very many of those now. But I was pretty disappointed to see that it's it's already, like, really underperforming. The ticket sales. Really? Three hours. Not a lot of explosions, no giant robots. Yeah, no, this is not a movie for, like, I don't know, modern young audiences who have really low attention spans because I think the last movie that I sat through that was, like, more than two and a half hours long was, like, Lord of the Rings, but that was, like, in 2001, 
And there was a really good reason for sitting through those movies because they're awesome. I can't think of the last one aside from Lord of the Rings, yeah, but... So then we actually all watched like a version of like the updated one, the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've never seen the actual. Yeah. You guys have. So they took out, like I noticed that with because I remember the, the version we have at home is the one with all the narration and the happy ending where they're in the countryside driving and he says like, oh, like Tyrell made Rachel not have an expiration date. So we're going to be together for however long we can. And that they're inexplicably like in a not a nuclear holocaust ruined radiation strewn area. Yeah, I right, but yes. they don't mention any of that stuff in the movie. Some producer at WB is that who made this, or is that the studio? Whoever it was, I don't know. Basically said, "Hey, we need a happy ending. This is too sad, Ridley." Oh, this is definitely an executive ask, certainly. But I, I did like the director's version more because I thought it was a tighter movie, and without the narration, like I said, if you want to go into it and you want to see the detective movie watch the theatrical one because it's more like you expect a detective movie to be. But if you want to see like a sci-fi movie, I thought this one was better because like it removing the narration made you pay more attention to the things that were going on. Right. And appreciate the aesthetics of the movie more versus like focusing so much like, okay, why isn't Deckard doing this? But like I said, there's still for a detective, he doesn't do much detective work. Can we just agree on that? <laughs> no, he doesn't, he doesn't do much detective. Like I think the most detective thing he does is he takes the snake scale and get like goes to the Chinese guy and like figures out uh or he they, does they, no the the uh, Abdul guy or whatever. He does one detective thing. He checks right. up on the snakes like manufacturer barcode thing. And right. what sees who and then he kills the snake people. is whose owner the snake is pretty much and that's how he gets to the hooker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I mean he um he I mean he finds the other guy, JF Sebastian. Oh right, yeah. You find yeah. him. It's like by basically um I don't remember how he found he found them, but it was it was somebody just basically told him where they were. I mean the movie's kind of like a very like small story, three replicants, four replicants, I guess, come to Earth. Yeah, right. of them. And Deckard has to hunt them down. Yeah, I mean, and I like I was saying before, the replicant story seems more interesting than Deckard's, whose like story is, I'm going to hunt these replicants. Hey, Rachel's kind of you know cool. I'm not going to kill her, I guess. And that's his arc. Like he wants a sex robot. Yeah, basically wants his Lucy Lubot from a Futurama. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's really all there is to it. Like the movie, it, the movie wins on its visual composition, but the stories in the book it's based on the movie stories. Like four robots, they're on Earth. You got to stop the robots, Deckard. Hey, you, Deckard. I mean, it looks real nice when all this is happening. Like that's what kept me interested when I was watching it last night, and I was drinking a little bit, so it kept me, you know. I mean, just like the the time, the, <laughs> the visual, like the griminess of the city mixed up with like the Japanese urge to put neon lights everywhere. <laughs> really though, it's like that kind of like it's the prototype for that kind of aesthetic. Yeah. In neo a lot of future yeah. look there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's defined the way that the future kind of looks because, or the, the, the near future looks like a lot of video games borrowed from that. 
Maybe they still do. Yeah, if you're going for a grunge future, like it's this like, and it, Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Like Shadowrun. I don't know if you ever have seen that, Justin, but well, there's some point and click adventure, is it? Um I don't know. Beneath the Steel Sky. Beneath the Steel Sky, yeah. Also yeah. like a Blade Runner type thing. Like it's 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 what Star Wars is to like space adventure. This is to like near future mega corporation feel. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Not necessarily a dystopia, but like a a used up future. Like everything's kind of dirty. Overbuilt. Yeah, overbuilt. That's a great word for it. Like it's just they develop way too much shit. Right. Like um the JF Sebastian lives in this old building. Hmm. Whereas it's like the Tyrell Corporation building is like that giant pyramid thing that covers like this huge like it's like somebody just dropped a pyramid on part of the city. It's like thirty blocks. Yeah. Just a big pyramid in the middle <laughs> of the city. And for some reason every room in the Tyrell building is like yellow. Do you notice that? And like his big office that it's like first of all, this movie's like so dark. Just that really the yellow is surprising. Dark no, yellow <laughs> there's like dark yellow and just like shadows and dark there's like a whole lot of this movie that's just really difficult to see you're not all right you gotta turn the gamma up on your tv yeah you gotta turn the gamma all the way up and i don't think it's ever daytime in this but that's i mean is it is it not never raining is it ever daytime in that world though i mean that's the question like or if it's blacked out with smog or something or if you know i thought that was just like contributing to like the whole like noir aspect of it like it's raining all the time and it's, it's raining all dark. the time. It's always dark. Like you don't ask those questions about like, why is Dick Tracy never in, you know? So you think it's kind of like the sci-fi version of black and white? Kind of. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I can see that. Cause like, I'm thinking of like those Humphrey Bogart thing, the movies where, you know, they're all in black and white and they kind of have that same feel. So maybe you're right. It is part of like what they, how they, why they chose that because it feels like that noir detective thing. I mean, all that's missing is somebody walking into Deckard's office with his name stenciled on the door. Right. And they're scraping it off because he's getting fired. This is, I think this is actually before the give me your gun and badge trope by like maybe three or four years. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I think Lethal Weapon might have put that one into the mainstream. Blade Runner wasn't there yet. They didn't break that ground. They're close, though. I don't, does he even have a badge in this movie? No, he's it's, got it's, his gun. He just says like his authorization number or something. I mean, it's the future though. So it's like, do you, do you need an access card or do you need to know Picard Alpha Tango? Like, well, yeah, he has yeah. like the little passcode that he just tells people. Yeah. Or maybe it's the future where anybody can be a Blade Runner if they want to. <laughs> Just say these words and you're just a Blade Runner. Say, go go murder random hookers thinking they're robots. Oops. Whoops. That was a real one. <laughs> they uh my bad. I think that's the strongest part of the movie is the end though. Like the end fight with uh Rucker Hauer. Like they it's like they took a lot of this like Ridley wanted to pack a lot of symbolism in it and he kinda like packed most of it into that last like twenty five minutes of the movie. And so the fight with Roy Batty is pretty good. I think it's it was well done. I think that's what Clark was saying at the start, though. I mean, people remember the movie for, you know, his line at the end and sort of that 
fight leading up to it. Like that is, you were yeah, the, like you, that's the, like the biggest meat of the movie that people grasp onto. Like the rest of the movie, they're like the snake scale. What that's the, the big what? plot point. Yeah. Like it, the people grasp they grab the visuals and then they grab that last fight scene and Rutger Hauer's death. Like that's the. Well, they're. I mean, I like the the look of it. They're they're fighting in this like bleak, broken down building. Uh, like some of the the ways they did things, like when he shoves his head through the wall and starts talking to, him, and then he, breaking his fingers when he grabs him through the wall. I think that's probably yeah. the earliest time I've ever seen that trope where some guy comes through a wall and grabs you. So, um, did this movie come out before or after The Shining? Uh, after. After okay. Yeah. Just because, like, when he stuck his head through the wall in, like, I guess a bathroom or whatever, it's like, "Here's Johnny." Yeah, <laughs> I always think of when, like, what's his name, uh, Scatman Crothers is walking down the hallway and goes, "Hey, hello, anybody home?" And then Jack Nicholson comes out with the axe, like, "Oh!" and just hits him <laughs> right in the chest. <laughs> Little bit different, but yes, great, great comedy scene. But anyway, The Shining is a great comedy. Yeah, but where like Deckard's climbing outside of the building mm-hmm. and on the uh, like the gargoyle, um, which is another cool visual, right? But I actually, you know, I was paying attention then because oh wow, he's actually in like real trouble because he could. I mean, he's like relying on a hand with two broken fingers, and isn't that weird? Barely though, get like, up. The neo gothic architecture is on the rich guy's weird pyramid he builds himself. It's just it seems like it's Wasn't so. This at- J.F. Sebastian's place, his oh, beat-up apartment. Right, the yeah. beat-up apartment. But I'm saying, like, the gargoyle, I saw, like, a similar kind of theme on the inside of the Tyrell building, like the... Oh. Okay. I don't know. It seemed like the... Just a weird mash of styles. Like, we have these old buildings, the new pyramid, but inside the new pyramid, we have, like, weird rich guy references to other kinds of architecture. It's like a mish... Like, the city has been put in a blender. Yeah. Well, and too, like even Tyrell has some weird quirks. Like he has this, like very, like you said, rich place that's well appointed with some like gothic carvings and stuff like that. If you look hard, and then he's got a few, he like sleeps in a hospital bed, right? Like, like he has a fucking adjustable hospital bed with like white sheets and stuff, and he only gets out of it to like play his chess game. But he has like like um. It's like a blood pressure monitor, an EKG thing, like next to the bed, and nobody ever said anything about him being sick. Maybe he wasn't sick though. He's sick up here. He's just maybe. like obsessed with his like. Health, yeah, maybe he's though, paranoid like, about like dying. Like any time, like uh, his, you know, he was right. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> ironic how that turns out because he was right to be paranoid about it, but <laughs> it's still funny, like. <laughs> But it, it, like I get the symbolism too. They did like Ridley packed a lot. Like Roy gets a nail through his palm. Oh, that right? was I don't know. That whole thing kind of seemed a little. So he's doing his own stigmata or whatever, and yeah. And then he has the dove, and it, like it let's go when he dies. So, <laughs> which is something. His soul that, is flying free. Isn't isn't that <laughs> doesn't that happen in Dragon Ball Z when Cell stomps on the android's head and kills him? Yeah, like a bird comes out of nowhere. The, the bird. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't think I, that was in the Cartoon Network version. I always thought it was really strange. No, it about, was. There's no blood, though, when it happens. But I, I don't remember a bird. That's oh, There was a bird. Fucking but, hilarious Blade Runner-inspired <laughs> Dragon Ball C. <laughs> I just thought it was so strange. Like, I can get the nail, like, 
being shoved into his hand because he's like all like weird up on like you know robot emotions or something but then the dove thing he's just like standing on the roof chasing deckard and it just like grabs a bird like i'm taking this with me like i I get like movie symbolism sure but like as far as like a an action you take as a character yeah i don't get it (laughs) just oh here's a pigeon (laughs) fucking my pigeon now again you're right though like even though like he does weird stuff like that that makes absolutely no sense but it's just there for symbolism i do is interesting he's a more interesting character than deckard because you know he he kills a lot of people and does questionable things as he says but then his last act before dying is he saves deckard's life he pulls him up from falling off of the he learns the top a lesson of the building so that's why i always think roy batty even though he's in the movie for maybe what like less than 20 minutes of total screen time he's not in a whole lot yeah he's more he's the most interesting character in it but he's used sparingly he's kind of like the alien a little bit yeah i actually agree with you on that that if it was like a whole movie about roy batty like everybody would like his character a whole lot less because the mystery would be gone well especially the weird shit he's talking about before he dies like justin was saying like i i'm I would like to know more about sea beams and attack ships on fire by the Tannhauser Gate. Like maybe that's why he actually saved Deckard, so like Deckard can like preserve whatever little bit of his memories are. I think that's exactly it, because Roy Batty realizes like, hey, I'm gonna die up here alone, and my it's all gonna be gone like tears in the rain, and it's like, oh, maybe this guy can remember I was a good person at the end. I think uh, that's... Except for breaking the fingers, at least remember that I was a person. But he saved his <laughs> yeah. life. He could have let Deckard fall, like. Yeah, it's like you killed my friends, whatever, you can die. But, okay, well, I'm just going to die up here alone now. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, that's right. That not, not maybe that, oh, I was a good person, but just that I existed. That somebody will know that I was that here. I, right. And they will know who I was. He could have carved Roy was here or something. Kill Roy was here. Brooks was here. Huh? I thought the thing was always Kill Roy was here. I was talking about the, oh, not the Shining, the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, where the guy who can't handle being out of prison since he went in there like in 1905 can't understand the automobiles, kills himself. Brooks was here. Yeah. yeah. Funny side note: the place where they filmed that movie and here up in northern Ohio, the room where Brooks was here mm-hmm. is inside that. Uh, it's like a um, shut down like institution or something, mental health place or yeah, hospital. The, the like the room where they did like the Brooks was here and like Brooks was here is still carved into the beam in this room because it's a tour. Like people can go and so, take it. The, the, the that is a waste house. of a money of a yeah, tour. Yeah. Cause it's just an indoor scene. So they filmed the scene in the oh. halfway house in this place because it's just a room in this place and you can go take the tour and it's in there. So the prison and yeah. the halfway house are in the same property. Yes. Oh, for filming purposes. Neat. In the movie, they're in disparate Oh, I, I know, but yeah, for, yeah. they're filming the same spot. It's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. But they saved a lot of money filming, so. I'm sure they did. Just like they saved a lot of money in Blade Runner by... Well, actually, they oh, probably didn't. Mini- miniatures are not cheap no, back then. That was really expensive yeah. to do, especially the the wide shots of like the you know the elevator going up the pyramid, like all that shit you have to time correctly. Right, and they probably it's not stop motion. They have a thing on a little uh, like piston, probably making the oh, elevator yeah. go. It's up. like a little yeah, it's like a model train set, right. but much better. Or like the the blimp with the ad on it. Yep, and then uh, okay, so the big question too. Everybody always talks about between the different versions. Always oh, Deckard a replicant. Depends. I don't think it really 
matters at all. I just, I don't, I never really cared about that too much. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I think Christopher Nolan must have watched this movie when he was a kid. He must have watched a lot of Ridley Scott movies because he doesn't understand that it's okay to have a mystery and well, not wait, make wait. it central. What do you mean? He's okay with mysteries. Did you watch the end of Inception? That's what I'm saying, though, is that in the end of Inception, he has that cheap bullshit cutaway at the very end, like, it's going to make you think, is it real or not? But then in Blade Runner, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think it particularly matters if Deckard is a replicant or not. Right, but there's still, like, it's still the same kind of cutaway. In the, in, in the two cuts of the movie where it's implied that he could be a replicant, there is the cutaway at the end where he picks up the, the little origami unicorn that um what's the guy's name gaff yeah commander adama makes and he hears his words saying like you know oh like who she won't live but you know who really does and then that's where the movie cuts out and i know he has the unicorn dream which is why people say that uh, oh because gaff made the unicorn that's he's aware of the memories that deckard has so they're implanted Possibly. And then I, the final cut, they actually cut it so like Deckard is running and like split between him and the unicorn or something. That's the one you said you saw, right? I just remember him like sleeping and then the unicorn was like there. I don't remember him running actually during that scene. There was something I read that like in the director's cut, they couldn't use like the footage they wanted, which is because it couldn't be restored then, mm. which they did restore it for the final cut to make the unicorn dream sequence work better to like intercut it with with Deckard footage or something I guess whether or not Deckard is a replicant is not like as material to the story as whether or not Cobb and the Inception team make it out of the the mind box game I just think that's more central to the plot whereas Deckard's plot is kind of wrapped up and it's just an interesting question of whether or not he's a replicant Ridley says he was a replicant and then Harrison Ford says that no, he wasn't, and he always played him as if he was a just a guy. I'm going with Harrison Ford then. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I just don't think it affects the outcome of the movie any. I just don't trust Ridley because he, you know, he has trouble keeping track of his own universes he creates. He changes his mind a lot. But Ridley, aliens don't work like that. Fuck you. I made this movie. <laughs> I say how they work. <laughs> we can't make a prequel. Fuck you. Watch me. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> so as I said, I hadn't seen this movie for like 17 years. I think the thing that I remembered about it the most was the Vangelis music. Oh, that was my the God, only thing that yeah. like stayed with me over 17 years that I really remembered from this, that if you played it for me, I could recall like, oh, that's from Blade Runner, like the saxophone and the the music where they're flying over the city in the beginning, all that kind of stuff. I I do like it. It's really it's really nice stuff. I I'm surprised they never got an award for like sound design or anything because it sounds really good. But that was like the only real thing that I remembered from it. I like the music. It's appropriate for the setting. But now Blade Runner is considered sexist. Did you know that? No, why? Because of the one scene where Harrison Ford like forces himself on Rachel. Ooh. Right, where she's trying to leave and he shuts the door. But isn't she a fleshlight? Pretty much. Really? So (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's some people that self identify as fleshlights out there. Hopefully there are. 
but I don't know. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, she's not human, but I don't know. There's a there's a video. What um, makes a human, Clark? There's a video dissecting this. Ask Roy Bay. from your favorite person, Anita Sarkeesian. That's right. Of you, bro. She she has a video out. I saw of dissecting Blade Runner and how it's very sexist. Two and questions misogynist for and two, two questions for her with a, a bomb under her chair that goes off if she lies. Says so she's seen the movie all the way through. I'm guessing not. And did she write her own review of it? I'm guessing not. I don't know who this person <laughs> is. It's the one who complains about sexism in video games and just uses other people's let's play footage and doesn't credit them. Oh. Yeah. But she's really into video games. She doesn't play them herself, though. Mm. Mm, professional mm. complainer. Mm. Yeah. That's so different than what we're doing. <laughs> this is unpaid, Justin, and no it's, it's a public service. People have to know these movies are either shit or they're watchable and good. This, okay. is, a, this is a colloquial version of <laughs> film criticism. Is That's what we do. She just makes clickbait. Okay, we don't say top five reasons you should see no, Blade Runner. Nobody's today clicking on our bait, Justin. Well, so I, it's I, okay. I, I believe that after we see uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine with Ryan Gosling Tuesday, if it works for you, because it's the discount day at that theater. Uh, we'll talk about this afterwards. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can title our next podcast the top five reasons. You Ten should reasons. See. Ten reasons you should see the new Blade Runner. Movie. Ten reasons. Oh, we should do like eight or something. I don't know. Ten's a little deluding things. It's three hours, Justin. There's going to be gonna more find than ten, ten reasons. Yeah, we're we're going to be able to find ten while we're there. Yeah. All right. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. But the um, what's the scene? I always think it was worth the. He kills the hooker in the rain, and she's all covered in plastic and shit. Where she goes through like seven panels of glass. <laughs> it looks pretty cool. I just thought that was really funny. I was laughing. I was like, oh my God, how many, how many more panels is she gonna go through before like she finally dies? Cause he shoots her like four times, right? He's a little heavy on the trigger. Yeah. But you know, also has like the his creepy his, his like car thing. That's always well, flying cars, of course, right? Everybody loves flying cars. Isn't there some random scene where like midgets attack his car and he drives away? Yeah, yes. that was weird. <laughs> I don't know. There's absolutely no reason why. But yeah. <laughs> like, I can understand the midgets in like Dave Sebastian's place. Like, okay, he's just you know creative. He wants to make a midget. He made a midget. Whatever. But like, yeah, is there just like midget gangs in L.A. now? Like, it was weird. I don't know. They got the Crips, they got the Bloods, and they got the Shorts or something. I don't know. The Shorts. The Shorties. The Shorties. <laughs> yeah, Jordy LaForge should have been a little person. Shorty well, no, be, it would be like those <clears throat> that movie, uh, The Warriors, where all the they have the little gangs. and they have, Where all the gangs meet up and have, have the like big fight. Fucking weird names like the Lizzies and stuff. And... Yeah, I, I don't know. I never understood the midget attack scene. I think it was one of those just like, I mean, it lasts random flavor things. It's, like it lasts yeah. all of two seconds. Like we we live in the future where midgets are some kind of oppressed group that attacks people. I mean, I could understand like, okay, there's like just some random people like trying to rip shit off his car or like kids, but it just seems such like a strange decision to say there's five midgets that are ripping shit off your car. Like, 
Right. Why pick just a random like short scene with midgets attacking your vehicle? Did they already pay them for like to be in like the JF Sebastian's apartment? Like, they're just like, oh, well, just throw on another set of clothes and reuse you. We already, we happy for the day. So maybe the ones back in the 80s, maybe they purchased them. I don't know. Maybe it was a lease, Justin. You can't, you don't know. I don't think you can lease people, at least not lately. <laughs> in the last, you know, hundred and fifty years. Yeah. Did you guys enjoy the the super obvious symbolism of eyes in the film? No. I can't take credit for this one because I remember this from uh, high school. I think in our freshman language arts class when somebody did a we did deconstructions of a movie scene and i think one group did like a scene in blade runner and was about the eyes right it's impossible not to see that now justin doesn't look like he's convinced the eyes i mean like the scene with like the eyes in general Eyes in general, like, did you notice at like the very beginning of the movie, the eyes, and there's like the starfire going through the eyes or whatever, and the sea beams. Well, yeah, that must be what it is, and that's what I always thought it was. Right there's the there's the guy who makes the eyes, and like Roy and Leon threaten him with like eyeballs that they take out of like the tanks that he's working on, and I don't know. It just seemed like they are looking at eyes to determine if they're lying or not. I didn't get the whole eye thing. Like, yeah, okay, eyes are like part of the robot manufacturing process. Eyes are the window to the soul. So that's the saying. Do robots have a soul? That's, that's, but that's why the Voight comp thing makes sense if you, if you consider, because they look for the response in the, the pupil or the retina dilation, right? So that's like giving you a, like a window into actually like what's going on inside them. Maybe if I was in the same, you know, freshman language arts class, I would be convinced by those people. But I don't know. Like, sure, eyes, I guess, like, uh, it just doesn't seem like... Roy Batty... Look, it's because the Benelli spine test was unreliable, okay? (laughs) Okay. He puts out Tyrell's eyes when he kills him. Right after he kisses him very awkwardly. I guess, but like, why? What? What is so important about ripping out your creator's eyes? Like, he didn't rip out his eyes, or like, like crushed them, whatever. Like, them. still, you're just killing the guy. I don't see why it's important that you're like squished his eyes first and then crushed his skull versus like. I don't know. Ask the mountain. I don't know, but eyes are like a recurring. I I don't know. Is it? Would you? Is it a motif or is it? I mean, I guess it's like recurring, but I just I don't know. It it. I didn't pick up on that. But I just found it hard not to notice it after a certain time. And and like how um like visual things to the characters, like the replicants, you notice how like they're all like really obsessed with photos, like Leon just like he's like, Oh, I had to go back to my apartment and get my photos or whatever and, and then he doesn't and Roy's like, Oh, did you get your precious photos? And you notice how Deckard's apartment, like maybe this is a thing for him being a replicant. Like he has a ton of fucking photos, like all over the place, like in a, like really old photos too that have no nothing to do with him. Yeah, it's like you yeah. know his great grandma picture when she was a kid or something like that on the piano, or the person he thinks is his great grandma, yeah. right, or something. Maybe he just. I mean, if we're talking about eyes, why did 
what's her face like spray paint her eyes? Or I don't know. Okay. I have no idea, but the maybe the movie I'm just not maybe I'm not deep enough for the movie. Is she trying to put up a veil through her soul so you can't see? Hey, whatever. I I mean, I suppose, but it's bullets. I like. I guess you could make the argument. I'm just not having this like mind blown sort of moment right here while you're saying this to me. Like, I mean, Harrison Ford fires sea beams at her. He's trying fires bullets at her. He's trying to get into her Tannhauser gate. He had an overdose of lead. His attack ship is on fire. If you get what I mean, he needs to get in the Tannhauser gate. No, I don't understand what you mean. To fire his sea beams, but what do you mean, Clark? I, I don't understand. Are you, are you making some sort of like... I think Deckard's a creepy rapist, which probably enhances his character to some degree. Okay. That's what you think. You're welcome to think that. It's wrong, but whatever. <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> Justin, I know your mind's not blown by that, and neither is mine, but like I said, I found this movie, I've always found it a little difficult to sit through, and so I'm just trying to pick up on something maybe that interests me in it, and that's something I noticed, and I called back to like that time in my life when I heard somebody else say that. I was like, oh yeah, maybe that's maybe that's true. This movie's high on the artistic scale, especially if you watch the one without the narration. Yeah, like it's a triumph of like design, so it's Not a necessarily little, storytelling. It's hard to sit through unless it's your first time watching it because you're going to be very confused. However, I do compliment them on the fact that it's less than two hours long. So it is not an incredibly long movie. It just feels long. It feels longer than yeah. it is, yeah. Yeah. But unlike eh. Blade Runner 2049, which I'm sure will feel just as long as it actually is, three hours. We're going to smuggle a bunch of cocaine to the theater, so don't worry. <laughs> Justin looks down for that now. <laughs> Boy, is he excited, everybody? Yeah. His face lit up. Um Oh yeah. She asked Decker what how did you do on the Voight comp test? And he never answers her. He fell asleep. Or did he? <laughs> yeah, it's in his programming. Someone starts asking about that right, shit. He, he just asleep. shuts down. It's his narcoleptic protocol. He just like whenever somebody questions him on shit, he just goes to sleep. Or just uh, abusive drunk, like Clark was saying. And does does he ever like drink a lot of alcohol in the movie? I think he had like one drink when one Rachel drink. came to his apartment that first time. It's his rape fuel. But he was gonna give it to her, right? He's like, "I'll make you a drink," and then she's gone, and he's like, oh, "Okay," and just. Yeah, himself. I'll make you a drink with my roofie in it. He takes himself and then it's like, oops, forgot. Right. No, that happened in real life. You can't make a movie about that anymore. What, Bill Cosby? What Bill Cosby did it already. It's not It's not exciting mm-hmm. in a movie. But people didn't know that at the time. Right. That he was putting his special things in his jello jigglers and stuff for people. What, Justin? I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, he's... This movie's a product of its time, okay? I don't think at the time everyone was thinking like Bill Cosby is raping people, but... I know. So it's perfect. Okay. It's like Harvey Weinstein was saying. It's you can't help be a product of your time. Okay. Anyway. Um... I don't think there's a whole lot about this movie that would make that would be better if you read the book. No, that's all I have to say. I about that. 
I think I remember what I did was I watched the movie and then I just pretty much said to myself like, oh, that was kind of interesting. I'm going to go read the book since it's only like 150, 200 pages. It's really short. Um, when I read that, I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I see the parallels. And that was it. Like I didn't be like, oh my God, it, it makes sense now. It was just... Because the, the book is so divergent from the movie in many respects. It's like, it's not like, it's not like you're reading the Lord of the Rings and figuring out like what they chose to move around and cut in the movie, or you're reading Harry Potter and like that. It's not so faithful. Yeah, it is really just the idea of the book, the future the book kind of set around replicants, and that was it. The book is set up for being like a mini series or something on Amazon, like Man in a High Castle. That isn't right. a mini series anymore though. It's like so I know it's like a full seasons. Well, or like, you know, a limited run series, like no, no, ten no, episodes a season. <clears throat> Cause Clark's right, there's just so many subplots in the book. So much backstory too. Like the book the book like veers off into it's. I still remember it being fairly short, though. Like there were a lot of like kind of like diversions it took around, you know, into the, the late night host feuds and whatnot that they had, and the animal stuff. But right. Like, I mean the 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 animal thing is like so fucking complicated because there's like the Kelly Blue Book for the getting a good price on your fake sheep or your fake cow yeah. or whatever, <laughs> like. Because Decker's always checking his fucking like Kelly Blue Book on like, mm, what's an expensive animal? Like he's a like, oh, I gotta get my goat. He's like a nerd with an ornithology hobby. Like, oh, that's a blue jay. And like, oh, he sees the animal. Let me check what the value is on that. I mean, it is kind of goofy, but like, I don't think that's so different from like somebody that like looks at cars they can't afford a lot. Like, that's a nice frog you've got there. <laughs> is that? 2018 wow or the the owl in tyrell's uh i don't know his his breeding room or whatever you call it yeah, but that's a fake owl. deckard's like must be expensive the owl with the red orange eyes <laughs> must be very expensive but then although again, then i saw some guy in the street who has a fucking owl too so they must not be that expensive and again mr tyrell probably has a lot of fucking money so he gives owls yeah, away occasionally He's got that fuck you money, right? He can get some owls. He can get some midgets. Maybe he hired the midgets to attack Deckard's car. <laughs> I think he was dead by then. I'm but going with that. He was being... already dead. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe it was he paid his... the midgets before he died. Right. It was just ma- part of his master plan. He paid off like, his midgets. It's just like when, when, you, when you said that the this cat. This is canon for the, me now. <laughs> the cat was the real villain and alien because the cat was like watching evilly as like people got killed and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like licking its lips as like they're. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Tyrell's like Falcone and Batman Begins. Like he's saying bad things happen sometimes. Midgets no, just uh, things just go. It's things, Gotham City. Things just, just go bad. <laughs> midgets just come rip your car apart. Ah, <laughs> uh, this isn't a dress in the new Blade Runner movie. I will be thoroughly upset if they don't bring the midget gang back and Ryan Gosling doesn't have to fight them off. I yeah. <laughs> Well, I look I forward to seeing Jared Leto as not the Joker. Maybe he's playing one of the midgets. No, he's uh, 
They CGI he's his like, face on them. He's the he's the bad guy. He's the villain. Oh, good. Yeah, but he's not the Joker. In his defense, he was a he was in a more interesting character than anybody else in Suicide Squad. But he was not included in the final cut because I don't know. Never saw that movie because I heard it sucked or missed like ass through it. So I'm forced to watch it in one of these situations. Then don't need to see it. Don't need to see it. All right. Well. What a great conclusion. <laughs> watch out for midgets, and we'll be back uh, next week with 10 reasons to watch Blade Runner 2049.